All right, Treya. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a speaker into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Well, if you have your Bible uh, this morning, you can open it to Luke, uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter number 18. Luke, uh, chapter number 18, uh, titled our discussion, our, our sermon, our message this morning as Prayer Warrior. You're going to see uh, why that's a little relevant uh, here in a few moments. Luke chapter 18 is where we'll be. We are right in the middle, really, I guess, getting kind of closer. I feel like every week I've said right in the middle, but technically, I guess we can't always be uh, right in the middle. So uh, we're somewhere on the back end uh, of our series that we've been walking through on prayer, grasping the heart of God. Now, obviously, as you can guess it, uh, even if you haven't been here in a few weeks, the importance of this series is, series is all about prayer. Now, the reason why we want to spend so much time talking about something that may be uh, common knowledge or maybe something that you think is pretty simple or basic, the reason why we want to spend so much time talking about it is because we believe that as followers of Jesus, our power is provided through prayer. So we've spent several weeks, we've talked about what prayer is and why it's important and how we do it. We've talked about the importance in evangelism and the power that it provides as we share the name of Jesus. Brother Corey talked last week about the power of prayer and God coming through in huge moments and showing up and showing out. Uh, there are so many things that we could talk about when it comes to prayer, but friends, God responds to the prayers of his people. Our prayers impact us and the world around us. Prayer is important and possibly the most important thing a follower of Jesus can do. Just this week, I read an interesting article about the Korean Airlines flight 007. On September 1st, 1983, in fact, some of you may remember this moment, there was a Korean Airlines flight 007 departed uh, from JFK International Airport in New York City. It was bound for South Korea and it carried upon its uh, flight, it carried 269 people, including a U.S. congressman. Shortly after refueling in Alaska, the plane began to deviate slightly off course. An hour and a half into the flight, the plane was 12 miles off course. No big deal. But four hours into the flight, the Korean Airlines flight 007 was 185 miles north of its flight route. Though it experienced only a slight change of direction, before long, the plane was entering dangerous territory. It was entering the Soviet Union. Shortly after Korean Airlines Flight 007 entered Soviet airspace for the second time, two Soviet fighter pilots were ordered to fire two air-to-air -air missiles. 
After the missiles hit their target, the plane plummeted into the Sea of Japan. Everyone on board was killed. What went wrong? Well, some argue that the pilots who were flying via autopilot didn't realize the digression in course until it was too late. Magnetic positioning used at the time certainly wasn't as reliable or as accurate as the current positioning systems of our day. Experts suggest that the navigation crew neglected proper procedures to keep the aircraft on its assigned course. Regardless, the slight variation in the flight path led to tragedy. Although the deviation was not immediately noticeable, the result was catastrophic. People lost their lives. Families were fundamentally changed because the plane wandered off course. Certainly tragic. Now, maybe you're thinking this morning, Danny, why are you sharing a horrible event like this with us this morning? We don't want to remember that nor know about it in the first place. Well, it's because for me, as I was reading this article, I was reading about this event. It made me think about the life of believers when our prayer life slowly begins to fade away. We might not notice it at first, but over time, we too drift into what we would call enemy territory. Without a doubt, the devil is lurking. He is seeking to devour. He's waiting for followers of Jesus to begin to drift off course. And when we do, he's waiting to send his missiles. He's waiting to send our lives plummeting down. Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus knew the fight that his disciples, Jesus knew the fight that all of us would be in. He knew the kind of warriors that he would need to continue to advance the gospel. In fact, Jesus was in that fight when he used this parable in Luke chapter 18 to help his followers understand something important about prayer, understand something important about their lives as what I would like to call prayer warriors. You might think of people in your past or people in your life currently that you've described as prayer warriors. You've described these people because they are constantly, consistently, every time you ask them, it is guaranteed without another thought that they will pray. Well, friends, here's what I want to suggest to us this morning. This should not be for an exclusive group of people who have the gift of praying. No, no, friends. This should be for every believer because prayer warriors shouldn't just be for some super Christian that you think about or some grandma who always came through for you on her knees. No, no, no. This should be every follower of Jesus. We should be prayer warriors. Why? Well, look at Luke chapter 18. In the very first verse, here's what it says. And he told them, who is he? Jesus, thank you, the one person who answered me. I appreciate that, Sid. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. We might think of this in the words of persistent prayer. Ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
And I don't want you to miss this as we begin a journey on this parable and understanding something important that Jesus was sharing with his followers then and is sharing with his followers today. I don't want you to miss the heaviness, the weightiness of persistent prayer, the heaviness, the, the, the purpose behind, the desire of God for all of us to be prayer warriors. Why? So that we will not lose heart. Friends, the devil certainly wants to destroy everything that we have. How might we battle him best? How might we fight this fight as strong as we possibly can? Well, I would like to suggest to you that it will happen when we are prayer warriors. Now, what is a parable? It's what Jesus used most of the times as he taught the people. It is a relatively short narrative with a symbolic meaning. Jesus would speak to his followers by using stories they could understand in order to teach them a spiritual principle. I've always heard it put like this, a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what Jesus is doing. He's about to teach them always to pray and not lose heart. He's about to teach them the importance of persistent prayer. Now, I love the word that he uses here. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. Ought sounds like the kind of word that we say around here in, in, in Mississippi, right? Ought to do that or I'm going to smack you upside your head, right? Jesus says ought always to pray. What's, what's the word ought mean? It means it is necessary. For believers to continue to follow Christ, it is necessary always to pray and not lose heart. Paul would describe this a little bit differently to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul wrote, pray without ceasing. Pray. It's important to be a prayer warrior, to persistently cry out to God. Jesus has told them just in the previous chapter of Luke that he will suffer and be rejected. He will leave them and they will be left to carry on the gospel without him. And as we discover the events happening when Jesus was arrested, they would need strength and they would need guidance. In fact, when the day of Pentecost happens, it is no coincidence that they are found praying. Now before, when they scattered while Jesus suffered, he couldn't even keep them awake to pray. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26? Here's what happened. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We all remember that part. It's a pretty impressive prayer from the life of Jesus. But here's what we may not remember. After he praised those words, it says that he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know what he's saying? He's saying pray that you won't lose heart. That's what he's telling them. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what happens just a moment later? The same exact thing. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, talking about Jesus, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And listen to what happened. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. 
Now, friends, listen, I don't want you to miss this. I don't think it's a coincidence that they scattered when they didn't pray when Jesus told them to, but they banded together and saw the church multiplied in Acts when they decided to get together and pray. They would be scattered like sheep among wolves. They would experience persecution for their faith in Christ. They needed to pray or they would certainly, as Jesus put it, lose heart. You know what that phrase means? means to be discouraged. It means literally to give up. The idea is of a coward backing down. It can also mean to give in to sin or to give in to temptation. Now listen, I remember Jesus modeling prayer for his disciples and he said this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, can I show you something that I think is so important about persistent prayer that Jesus is trying to teach us? Persistent prayer keeps us from giving up on God. You say, Danny, why should I ought always to pray? Why should I pray without ceasing? Why is persistent prayer that important when God knows everything in me already? When God knows everything I'm gonna ask before I ever ask for it? When he knows the future unlike me, why should I continue to ask if he already knows? Friends, it's because of this reason. Not so that God will lose heart. He's not going to. We pray persistently so that we don't lose heart, so that we don't give up in the fight. Friends, the devil's coming. He's not giving up. He hasn't given up in all of this time. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation just this week with a student here at our church, and he was asking me interesting questions about the devil. What do I think about him? Is he a real person? Is he like the cartoon character that's depicted in the media? What is he actually like? Will we party with him like he's a rock star? Or is he actually the evil being who opposes God? And then he asked me another question. He said, doesn't the devil know that in the end he's going to lose? And I thought to myself, well, certainly he's read the end of the story, right? Well, if he knows he's going to lose, why doesn't he go ahead and give up? I thought to myself, hmm, I don't know the answer to that question. But I thought to myself, if he knows the end of the story and he still hasn't given up, then listen to me, friends. He's not going to give up tomorrow, even though you prayed yesterday that things would get easier. Just because you prayed yesterday doesn't mean the devil decides, you know what? I won't mess with them anymore. They prayed to God that they would be protected, so I will never come at them again. I give up. Friends, if there's anything we know about the devil, A, he's stupid. B, he's going to lose. But see, he's not going to give up until he does. So you say, Danny, what does that mean for us? That means we should persistently pray so that we, in the midst of this fight, do not lose heart. We do not give up. I think it's so interesting to note that Jesus has just finished a discussion in Luke chapter 17 about his second coming. He's explained what it will be like when the kingdom comes. Matter of fact, listen to some of the description. This is in Luke 17, 26 through 30, just before this parable. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, you may or may not remember, but in the days of Noah, the world had become so corrupt that God was sad that he had even created mankind. You may or may not remember, but God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sins and their wickedness and their rejection of God's leadership in their lives. Friends, listen to me. If Jesus is making a comparison to what the world was like during those days and how the world will be when he returns, then it makes sense that his followers might lose heart. But what should we do to not lose heart, to not give up? You know what Jesus would say? Pray. Persistent prayer keeps us from giving up. It leads to greater commitment and dedication to Jesus. Wow, that was verse number one. Let's keep going. Jesus goes on, Luke chapter 18, verse two. He's about to tell them a parable, and so now he will. He said, talking about Jesus, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, according to Jewish law and tradition, respected men were selected to act as judges among the people. We learn this from the time of Moses in Exodus chapter 18. It's told to Moses, look for able men from all the people. Here's the description. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bride says, set those men over different groups of people to be judges. However, in this case, the judge was either selected for a different reason than being a man who fears God and is trustworthy, or he later became a man who neither feared God nor respected man and was trustworthy. It's also possible that he was appointed by Roman rule and had nothing to do with Jewish customs whatsoever. As a matter of fact, most Jewish customs required a council, not just a person. Nonetheless, it's not important. What is important is that judges at this particular time were so known for being corrupt that one commentator states that they were known as robber judges. They weren't just judges. They weren't helpers of the people. No, no, no. They were known literally, hey, are you going to go see the robber judge today? Herschel Hobbes, in his commentary, he writes this, neither the voice of God nor the voice of man meant anything to him, this judge. The only language which he understood was that of money. There's the picture of the robber judge. Whatever the case, Jesus is about to use a negative example to teach us something important about God. Now, this isn't the only time that Jesus uses a negative example. He does it earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 11, when he talks about fathers on this earth giving their children what they need. And then he makes the statement, if you then who are evil, I know that stings a little bit, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If the comparison is us being good fathers, how much more is God a good father, right? Negative example to a positive example. He does it again later in Luke chapter 16 when he uses the parable of the dishonest manager. He praises the dishonesty, not because dishonest is good, but because of the work that the manager put in. And then he said, if that guy's going to work that hard for something good, how much more will our perfect father work out good things for us, right? Negative example to point to something positive about God. That's what's happening in this parable. Now, we don't have any information about the city or the judge other than this simple truth. He's not good. Jesus goes on, verse 3. 
And there was a widow in that city. So we've got the judge. Now we've got a, a widow, same city, who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, Jesus' use of a widow as his example is something that should grab our attention. He doesn't pick a widow because it just happened to be something that sounded good in the parable. No, it had a purpose. There are plenty of times throughout Scripture where God's people are commanded to care for the helpless, especially widows and orphans. Matter of fact, I wanted to give you a few of them because they're pretty strong, in case you forgot them. Exodus 22, verses 22 through 24. Listen to these words. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. How will God's wrath burn? Listen, I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Check. God loves widows. Done. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 18. God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 68, 5. God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Isaiah 1, 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Jeremiah 7, 6 through 7. If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fathers, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. You know who's in that category? Widows. Clearly God has a heart for the widow. Also, in case you're unaware, it wasn't uncommon for a widow to be taken advantage of. There were plenty of times when a widow would have dishonorable people stack up unlawful debts against her in order to take her property, in order to take advantage of her. One commentator put, a widow who fights her own case must have been without male support that she could rely on, and so she would more easily be exploited. In this particular parable, it seems as though this widow, of course, has no husband to protect her. But also, she probably has no children, at least male children, to stand with her on her behalf. All she could rely on was legal protection. That was it. In fact, the phrase, give me justice, comes from a word that means to seek retribution for a victim of a crime. She has obviously been a victim. Something bad has happened to her. This verb often relates to acts of vengeance. She's looking for wrongs to be made right. So what would a widow do if she was being wrongfully treated? She would seek out the judge to protect her. In fact, she would continue to do so. The verse says she kept coming to him. How many times did she approach this judge? I don't know, but here's how I would answer it. As many times as it took to receive justice. Jesus goes on, verse 4. For a while he refused. Judge would not give her justice. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I don't know how long 
she kept coming to him or how long she kept bothering him. But for whatever time it was, he refused to help her. She was seeking justice, but the judge would not provide it. Yet the judge boasts, though I neither fear God nor respect man. He's clear about it. He doesn't finally find some good inside and do what's right. No, he only agrees to do something because she continued bothering him. Now, the word bothering is an interesting word. It means to work or to labor. This gives us a great picture of her persistence. Think about work for you. Every day, you get up, you go to your job, you go home, and then you do it again. Doesn't that seem like what life is like every day? Day in and day out, you work. That's what this lady did about justice. She made it her job, her work, to continue seeking the justice she deserved from this corrupt judge. In this account, the judge has finally met his match. She wasn't going to stop. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. His commitment to rejecting her was overpowered by her commitment to bothering him. So he says, because she keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. I think that's interesting. The phrase literally means to give me a black eye. It's only used in one other place in the New Testament. It's in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, when Paul wrote, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. It's the word discipline in that verse. Paul used it to describe beating his body into submission. This woman would continue to work. She would continue to fight to get what was right. It could be that the judge was actually afraid that this woman would attack him, come up in a back alley and beat him down. But probably he wasn't afraid of a widow lady. What it's more likely to mean is that she wasn't going to physically attack him but the phrase, beat me down, can also mean to defame someone, to destroy their reputation. So think about it. Apparently, this widow was giving this judge a black eye when it came to his standing within the community. We don't have a reason for why the judge didn't want to help the widow. Could have been uh, that it was you know, politically or socially or financially advantageous for the judge to side with the widow's opponents. I don't know. But however, in the end, nothing was more valuable than his own reputation. One translator of this verse put it like this. She pummeled him in the boxing ring of public opinion. Now, loose translation there but gives us the imagery that's probably happening. So the judge decided, I will give her justice. My reputation at this point is being so smeared that I can't have her talking anymore. I will give her justice. I will give her retribu retribution and vengeance. So look at what Jesus says. Verse six. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Take note of that account. Why? Because look at what he says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Think about the comparison that Jesus is making with this parable. We don't know the widow. We don't know the judge because neither of them are actually the point. The point is, if an unjust judge will eventually bring justice, how much more will God, the just judge, bring justice to those who follow him? Can I show you something else that Jesus teaches us about persistent prayer? 
Persistent prayer defines our dependence on God. You say, Danny, why should I continue to pray? Well, so that we don't lose heart. We don't want to give up on God in the fight for the universe, right? We don't want to. We can. The devil's strong. He's a great adversary. He can beat us down. This world can push us in a box. It can silence us. It can keep us from advancing the name of Jesus. So we pray every day persistently, ought always to pray, Jesus, help me continue to fight. But also, look, when we persistently pray, Every day, every moment, seeking after his wisdom and his guidance, it defines ultimately our dependence on God. God, we need you. We're not enough. We can't make it on our own. It's too difficult out there. We can't even get justice that is rightly due us in this world. God, we need you. And when we persistently pray, it defines our dependence on him. Love what John Phillips wrote. He said, the Lord is no unjust judge. God doesn't have to be persuaded or pestered. He responds when the proper time comes. As Luke describes, as Luke described Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. Although, of course, his answers might not always be what we expect or when we expect them. Don't miss the importance of the parable. The widow was persistent in her request. Persistence is vital to the success of her mission. Also, she was seeking justice. She wasn't seeking selfish gain or making a request of God for something insignificant. She was seeking after what God's very character always desires. She was seeking justice. When we persistently, listen, as Jesus put it, cry to him day and night. When we persistently cry out to him for something his very character stands for, something like justice, we can be sure his desire is to provide it. If he delays, if we don't see it when we think we should or how we think we should, it's not because God doesn't desire justice. Chuck Swindoll wrote, if we don't see justice quickly, we can be sure it's not because God doesn't want his people to receive fair treatment. We can safely assume that other unforeseen factors are at work that we may not fully comprehend. I love what the Lord said in Amos 5.24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. One person said, though that is true, sometimes it might roll down a little slower than we want it to roll down. All I know is what Isaiah teaches us in Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Listen, I've heard so many different responses to how God answers prayer. I've heard people say that God has three responses, an immediate no to our prayers, because we ask in the wrong way or for the wrong thing or for something it would be best for us not to have, at least for this moment. An immediate yes, what we're praying for is right and what God desires, or wait. He knows that by continuing to pray, continuing to seek him, it will be better for us. You say, Danny, how can it be? I don't know. I'm not God. But I know he promises to bring justice to his people who cry out to him day and night. 
And when Jesus makes a promise, it is true. So Danny, why didn't it happen the way I wanted? Why hasn't it come through yet? I don't know. All I can tell you is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's working something. I don't know what it is, but I trust. I trust him. We may not always understand why or how God is working, but we can be assured that God is seeking justice always for those who follow him. Let me ask you this, do you seek him persistently? Persistent prayer defines our dependence on God. God will take care of his own as we diligently seek him. Don't forget what Jesus already taught his disciples in Luke chapter 11. If fathers of this earth will give good gifts to their people and their evil, how much more will our God give us what is good? He is all we have. When was the last time you sought after him? When was the last time you sought after him as if he was all you were dependent on? Let me show you this last thing. Look at verse eight. Jesus goes on, this last statement. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Look what Jesus says. He will give justice. Enough said. However, the word speedily, it means literally in a short time, or we might use the word soon. You know what it doesn't mean though? It doesn't mean immediately when you ask. Note the question that Jesus ends this entire parable with. Will he find faith on earth? Do we believe that he will bring justice? Do we believe that he will do what he says? Do we have faith in him? Do we trust him? Let me show you this last thing. Persistent prayer leads to greater trust in God. It's what it does as we continue to seek as we continue to fight and battle in our prayer lives, as we continue to be prayer warriors, it leads to greater trust in God. My guess is persistent prayer happens less and less because people are trusting Jesus less and less. The only reason why we would continue to seek justice from God is because we trust that he can and he will provide it. Could it be that we don't pray persistently because we've lost faith that Jesus will do what he says? Jesus uses an interesting word to describe the widow's enemies back in Luke chapter 18, verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my, here's the word, adversary. The word for adversary is also used later in the New Testament. It's used in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. You may remember this text. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, there it is again, but listen to this. Your adversary, the devil. There's no doubt who the adversary is. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Friends, can I just point something out? The widow's adversary isn't any different to the one that all believers have today, isn't any different than the devil. It won't always be easy to follow Jesus, especially when we think about our enemy. 
However, do we have the faith to continue to pray for God's deliverance? Do we trust that he can handle even that great adversary? He's looking for the kind of faith that continues to seek him in prayer. Will he find it in us? Friends, what if your faith is linked to your prayer life? What if Jesus looks at his people and says, oh, you of little faith, and we think to ourselves, what do you mean, Jesus? I believe the word. I believe what you said. I try to live the way you want me to live. What if when he says, oh, you of little faith, what he means is he's basing your faith on the amount of time you spend depending on him? If that's the case, what does our faith look like across this room this morning? Can I tell you something? I'm humbled by this discussion. You know why? Because if my faith in Jesus was dependent on the amount of time that I seek him above everything else, I'm terrified. Maybe you remember the words of Joseph Scriven when he wrote this hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Paul knows the weapon that is prayer. Listen to the words he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Listen to this. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, right? Persistent prayer, perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We're prayer warriors. That's where our fight begins, friends. What is your prayer life like today? Have you been persistently praying to God? Can I just ask you a couple questions? Seriously, think about it. Is your prayer life defined by the fact that you seek him because you don't want to fail or give up in this life? I wonder if you're here this morning, you say, Danny, I'm on the, I'm on the edge of giving up. I'm on the edge of giving. You don't know what life's been like for me lately. You don't know how tough the enemy has been. Frank, can I tell you the answer you need? Pray. It's your greatest weapon. You say, Danny, you don't understand. It's hard to depend on God. You don't know the kind of things that I'm dealing with. You don't know the kind of things that, that, are, that are happening. You don't understand, and I gotta make things happen. Friend, you can never make things happen. Maybe God's saying, where have you been? Hello? When's the last time you persistently prayed? I'm not saying you prayed 10 years ago for your family member who needs Jesus, and you've just been waiting ever since, expecting God to do something. No, no, I'm talking about persistently praying in a sense that you depend on God for everything you need. I'm talking about daily seeking his face. I'm talking about persistence, working, tolling, bothering God on behalf of the needs in your life. Maybe you'd say, Danny, I, <laughs> I need some more faith. I'm struggling. I trust in the Lord. The things I've seen over the last few years is just crashing. You know what I would ask you, friend? When's the last time you persistently prayed? When's the last time you would say that your life is defined as a prayer warrior? Because until it is, 
you will continue to feel those same things. The enemy will continue to win. The church will continue to be bogged down. Our lives will continue to flop around in things that don't even matter until we get serious about our time with the creator of the universe. Hey, listen, maybe this morning you're reminded as I am with this parable, Jesus wants me to seek him. What am I waiting for? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Danny, I, I've never even prayed before. <laughs> I would say, you know what, friend? Probably the first thing you need to do is pray and ask Jesus to save you from your sins and become your Lord and Savior. Hey, listen, just a moment. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna be back there in that lobby. I know you get tired of hearing that probably. But I hope for somebody in this room this morning, maybe it's the first time you're hearing it. I'm gonna be back there in that lobby. And if you say, Danny, I, I know that I need to pray to receive Jesus. Man, I don't seek after him because all I've done is seek after myself. I don't care about asking God to help me because I'm all about me. Friend, maybe today he's opening your eyes to come to him. And maybe that begins with giving your life to Christ. You come find me, I'd love to help you. But for the majority of you, you just need to spend time in prayer with him. You don't need me or anybody else. You need Jesus. So why don't you take these next few moments and spend some time with him? Once again, you know what the greatest thing is about talking about prayer on Sunday morning? We get the chance to do it. And that chance is right now. Father, we love you. Jesus, we praise you. You truly are awesome.